Welcome to Jesus at the Table. The podcast where we have real conversations about the spiritual journey, cultural issues, and big theological questions. Welcome everyone to Jesus at the Table, the podcast where no topic is off limits and we talk as if Jesus was here at the table with us. I'm Leslie Zarita and with me today is Fran Lehman, the anchor of our podcast and the pastor of LifeSpring Church. Hi Fran, welcome. Hi Leslie. Um, Speaking of no topic being off limits, we're going to talk about politics today. We are. Uh, Specifically the question of how did Christianity get to be such a political mess? And this is a really tough topic for Christians in this day and age, isn't it? It is, uh, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is just because there's so much disagreement, right? In the in the political season we've been in, I would say, for the last few years, Christians have been dividing off a lot on when it comes to politics. There's just division in the church, division between Christians. And we've gotten pulled into uh, these two sides. So when politics comes up, all of us almost by default now think, are you left or are you right? Mm-hmm. And what we aren't really thinking about is how do we as Christians navigate the whole question of temporal politics? How should we as Christians navigate politics? Before we talk about left, right, this issue, that issue. Right. Yeah. So. And I'm, I'm pretty certain this is not going to be the first time that we talk about politics on this podcast. But when you were thinking about how we were going to wade into this topic, what kind of went into that? Well, it felt complicated for me because uh, what we're doing with the podcast is we're doing a bunch of one-off topics as we launch Jesus at the table because we want to give people a taste of the kind of things that we're going to be talking about here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that means we're not doing four or five conversations about politics, although we are going to break this into two, I think, because of length. But so the question was, are we going to have other guests on and, and talk politics at this point, or just kind of try to talk about Christian principles for navigating politics. And I was afraid if we had guests on, maybe we have on somebody who's a little more uh, conservative and somebody who's a little more progressive. And then I was afraid our conversation would just devolve into a right-left sort of conversation. And I, I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to uh, talk about the questions about how Christians navigate politics that are underneath the division, the deeper questions. Okay. And what are you referring to when you say that? Because, you know, somebody might tune in and say, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, there's there's a history to the current relationship between Christianity and politics. And um, so uh, one question is whether we as Christians know that history. There's a history over the last few decades and Do we know that history of how we got to the place where Christians are interacting in the way that they are? And then there's also questions that I think I should wrestle with, you should wrestle with as Christians about how I think about temporal politics and its relationship to the kingdom of God and the gospel and and those bigger things. Yeah. Now, I know you pretty well, and I know that you're a really big um, student of history and theology, obviously. So what were you thinking when you thought that you just wanted to raise these questions on this podcast before we have any of these group discussions about politics? Well, I don't know what our future discussions of politics on Jesus at the Table will exactly look like. 
Um, but given the political season that's coming, and I just want to say about that, Lord have mercy, oh my right? Goodness, no but, but given the political season that's coming, I think we'll have lots of opportunities to talk about various political things. But whatever those conversations are in the future, they've got to be deeper than, are you for Biden or Trump? Like, there's more to our faith than this. Oh, right? absolutely, there you know? is. But the reality is that in America, as Americans, we're massively politically divided right now. And somehow Christians and Christianity have become really visible elements of that political upheaval um, from the past few years, really. How did that happen? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I've, I've watched, I've been paying attention to politics, you know, for the last three decades of my life. And now the question of Christians and Christianity comes up in political discussions. And I'm not talking just among Christians. It comes up in the New York Times and the Atlantic Monthly and on MSNBC and on Fox News. Like Christians and Christianity are in the political sphere mm -hmm. in a way that they just never seem to have been before. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the obvious one is the abortion issue. And I'm essentially a pro-life guy, so I get that. That as Christians, part of our big motivation about politics has been that um, we want to uh, come down on the right side uh, of, of being for the sanctity of life. Um, but the less obvious part of how Christians and Christianity became so visible in the current political milieu is that there's a 60-year history of the courtship between Christianity and the conservative political right. And I think a lot of people don't know that history. And that's not just evangelicals, by the way. That's conservative Christians of both a Catholic stripe and a Protestant stripe mm -hmm. have had this 60-year growing relationship with the political right. Okay. You know, obviously the, the abortion piece is self-explanatory, but because Christians tend to be a large majority pro-life people and, and they want to support the candidate that supports that cause. Um, but the long relationship between Christians and the political right, where does that come from and how has it played into Christians and Christianity being such a visible part of our politics right now? Yeah, I, it's actually a, a fascinating story because it's one of those stories where um, you have a, a history that's moving what's happening now, but a lot of the people being moved don't know the history. Mm -hmm. And so that, and, and you see that with different kinds of movement and culture, but it's always fascinating. Uh, we could talk about a lot of different societal issues and we could say a lot of what people are thinking and how they're moving in these issues today actually goes back to some things in the past, but do the people in this moment underst understand mm -hmm. what happened in all those moments that kind of led us to this place? So, um, and I don't think most Christians do know most of this history. So. Um, you could you could put the beginning of that history in different places, but where I like to put the marker for that is 1954, which is the Brown versus Board of Education mm -hmm. decision of the Supreme Court desegregating public schools in America. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but when that happened, um, a lot of people freaked out, particularly people in the South. I mean, I don't think we're telling any great secret here to say that uh, it is the South which has struggled most to come up and embrace 
racial equality, right? Um, we see that that's where slavery was, and that's where it was hardest to let go of those of those prejudices. And I'm not disparaging anyone in particular. I'm just saying I think we know that's been a cultural reality and a historical reality. But it wasn't just people; it wasn't just white people who freaked out after Brown versus Board of Education uh, in the South. It was white Christians, uh, and particularly white Baptists. And so what happened was they freaked out because they thought, oh my gosh, our children are going to have to go to school because that was the decision, right? Desegregating public schools. Mm -hmm. Our children are going to have to go to school with black kids. And so what they did was all across the South, they began to start private Christian schools out of their Baptist churches. Um, and they called them, they themselves referred to them often as segregation academies. Mm -hmm. And... Um, one of the most well-known Baptists in the South was Jerry Falwell. Uh, Jerry Falwell Sr., mm -hmm. um, who's gone home to be with the Lord, uh, as, to, as opposed to Jerry Falwell Jr., and we could do a lot of podcasts about the last few years with Jerry Falwell yeah. Jr. Yes, we could. But Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, you know, with his Thomas Road Baptist Church, and they started a segregation, segregation academy. And, uh, and then, after that was going on for, you know, a decade or so, um, Jimmy Carter ran for president, and Jimmy Carter was also a Baptist from the South. And so uh, Jerry Falwell supported him, the Baptists in the South supported him, and Jimmy Carter got elected, and they were like, that's our guy, right? We got a, a Baptist from the South elected president. What they didn't count on was that Jimmy Carter had moved further along in his Christian values. Let's just put it that way. And so what Jimmy Carter did while he was president, one of the things that he did was he asked the IRS to enforce a statute that was already on the books that said if any private school of any kind in the United States does not admit people of every race, creed, and color, mm -hmm. they'll lose their tax-exempt status. Right. And so um, this infuriated Jerry Falwell and Baptists. Now, the, I read a book where they said nobody worked harder to get Jimmy Carter elected um, and Jerry Falwell, and when Jimmy Carter ran again, nobody worked harder to make sure he didn't get elected mm -hmm. than Jerry Falwell. Um, anyway, um, so so that's this whole uh, story that went on. And so then what happened was the religious right, as we refer to it today, began to coalesce around what they called the issue of religious freedom. But the real issue packaged within that religious freedom issue was the taxation issue mm -hmm. over segregation. They were saying, we're being persecuted because they're going to take our tax-exempt status away. But the reason their tax-exempt status was threatened was because they wouldn't let black children go to their private Christian schools. Mm -hmm. And so the myth about the religious right is that the religious right was initially formed around the abortion issue, but it's not really true. Mm -hmm. it, was an, it initially coalesced as a political movement around the issue of protecting tax-exempt status for churches and schools that did not want to admit black children. So um, that's really where the religious right kind of had its genesis. And a lot of people don't know this history. Like, I think a lot of today, a lot of um, particularly evangelicals, think that, oh, we Christians, you know, we've always been against abortion. Um, but, but prior to the 19, you know, prior to the 1970s, Jerry Falwell was, was pro-choice. Mm. Um, and in 1968, Christianity Today and the Christian Medical Society held a joint conference to kind of wade through the abortion issue. 
And um, so all kinds of um, theologians and medical professionals came together at this conference. They didn't all come out with the same opinion, but they all came out saying that in many instances, abortion is allowable. And today, Christians would be like, they did? All these, all these evangelicals, these, these Christian theologians and, and uh, medical professionals. So up until the 1970s, um, abortion was considered a Catholic issue. Protestants didn't care about it. Evangelicals didn't really care about it. Um, and uh, and a couple other interesting examples. Uh, in 1973, James Dobson made the public statement that uh, prior to birth, a fetus was not a human being. Mm. And people would be like, James Dobson said right. that? Or another good example, in the, in the late 70s, uh, Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian philosopher, tried to who was who was talking about the abortion issue a lot tried to enlist Billy Graham to his cause and Billy Graham rebuffed him and, and said that he didn't share the same view and didn't necessarily want to get on that van, that bandwagon so um, and even in 1980 when Ronald Reagan ran for president Ronald Reagan talked up that religious freedom issue um, but by 1980 the abortion issue was becoming a bigger thing for Christians and Ronald Reagan was completely silent on it mm -hmm. because he, he, he didn't want to go there and he didn't necessarily share that view at, at that point. So my point is this. The religious right goes from segregation to this religious freedom issue, which is really a tax-exempt issue mm -hmm. related to segregation, and eventually to the abortion issue. And eventually what happens is, in the history of this, is that there's this guy nobody's ever heard of named Paul Weyrich, who is historically the architect of the religious right, who when Paul Weyrich realizes that the abortion issue can be the issue, that it's getting traction, right? Like segregation didn't get traction with the Christians in the North, mm -hmm. right? And the religious freedom over taxing, that didn't get traction with people, but the abortion issue got traction. And so Paul Weyrich went to Jerry Falwell and all these other guys and said, this is the issue around which we can build Christians and evangelicals in particular into a political uh, powerhouse. And if you want to understand this history, uh, the book I would recommend is Frances Fitzgerald. She's a historian. Frances Fitzgerald's book, uh, The Evangelicals, The Struggle to Shape America. It's a phenomenal history. And she's, she's not anti-Christian or anything at all. It's just a history, mm. but it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So Sounds like that's a good read. Um, why do you think it was important to the architects of the religious right to have some kind of issue that would gain them political traction? It was important because they wanted political power. And when I say that, I don't just mean that in the sort of like power-hungry way, like they just wanted political power. <laughs> they wanted political power, which was welded to the, to the belief that America is a Christian nation. And America needed to be brought back to this place where it was it was dominated by Christians and Christian thought, and where the country was run on biblical principles. And so, um, you know, in order to do that, in order to to sort of force America in certain directions, you have to have political power to do that. And so, when they they so they saw with the abortion issue, they could per, turn. Christians into a, a political powerhouse, a political base, and then they could accomplish all kinds of things if they controlled a certain part of the, the voting block or if they could steer a certain part of the voting block. So, yeah. Um, where do you think the idea of America as a Christian nation had its beginning? It really goes back to the Puritans. Um, and uh, the Puritans, you can go back and read their letters, right? 
letters that they were writing to people back home in Europe. And it, they wrote in those letters and they described this new land as the new Israel. So they saw themselves like, they, they compared themselves to the Israelites going into Canaan and discovering a new land. And for example, they compared the Native Americans to the Canaanites, mm -hmm. right? Who the Israelites took out. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they saw it the same way as we're coming in, we're gonna conquer this land for God and we're gonna create this sort of Christian land, this uh, Christian utopia. And, and they were literally quoting those Old Testament conquest passages as they were slaughtering Native Americans. Yeah. And so that was the very beginning of this, this birth of the idea of America as a Christian nation. Yeah, so pretty much there's a long history of America as a Christian nation, as God's chosen nation, all of that kind Ab of ideology. Absolutely, absolutely. And what do you think of that? <laughs> I'm set you up right now. <laughs> right, right. This is where we get in trouble, right? So I think, <laughs> I think because there's a lot of Christians out there, and I, I, man, I get it. I get it. I know what we've been taught, right? Uh, but there's a lot of Christians out there who are thinking, well, of course, this is God's chosen nation. Of course, it's a Christian, you know. But uh, I think two things. First, the concept of Christian nations is not found in the New Testament, right? Uh, I'm not saying that a nation can't be influenced by Christians, uh, that we can't. I mean, we live in a democratic society, which is a great privilege. We get to vote. We get to have an right. influence. We get to bring our Christian ideology to bear in our participation in the American enterprise. And that's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Um, but we don't find in the teaching of Jesus anything about go out and create Christian countries or the way I'm gonna work in the world is through Christian countries, um, you know, or through Christians dominating their cultures through power and law, you might, you might say. In fact, in contrast with Israel, which was a theocracy, you know, which was like a nation under God, um, Jesus says that the kingdom, in, in the Gospels, he says the kingdom is going to be taken away from Israel and it's be, going to be given to a new people. But it's not a new country. It's a new people made up of every tribe and tongue and people and, and nation. And the book I would recommend about this, if, if you're listening to what I'm saying right now, and I know some people probably are, and they're thinking, I don't know, I've always been taught, you know, America's Christian country and we got to get it back to being, you know, the great Christian country that it once was or however you think about that. I think that's a whole nother conversation. But whatever you think about that, the book I would recommend is at least go read uh, Greg Boyd's book, The Myth of a Christian Nation. Um, it's really, it, it's going to theologically unpack that from a New Testament vantage point uh, in a really good way. So, and then, you know, the, the, the second thing that I would say about this idea of America as a Christian nation is that the idea of the Christian nation has been married to other things to justify some pretty bad stuff. In our culture, it's been married to whiteness and it's been used to justify racism, slavery, segregation, resistance to, to civil rights, all kinds of things. If we go back to uh, Germany, Christianity was married to the idea of the Third Reich. And most people don't know that German evangelicals uh, bought into a Christian nationalism, like we see many people in America think about, many Christians in America think about America that way. German evangelicals bought into a Christian nationalism that lent tremendous power to the Nazi party. Right. Um, you just used the term Christian nationalism, and that's been a, a word or phrase that's been 
it's, it's become more popular, more of a buzzword, buzz phrase that's been going around, uh, sometimes in a positive and sometimes in a negative way. Can you explain what Christian nationalism really is? Yeah, so Christian nationalism is the idea that the state itself, whatever state that is, in this case we would say the United States government or the United States as an entity, that the state itself is something sacred. And, and in essence, that the state then is the instrument of God's working in the world. Um, you know, this is what the Roman Empire said in the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when Mark uh, says at the beginning of his gospel, um, he says that the birth of Jesus is the beginning of the good news for the world. And um, that actually uh, comes from, that's Mark's, how do we say it? That's Mark's anti-statement to a common thing, and we know this from, an, from inscriptions that have been found in stone from the time mm -hmm. of Christ. That's Mark's anti-statement to what the Roman Empire said, which was that the birth of Augustus Caesar, Emperor Caesar, was the beginning of the good news for mm -hmm. the world. And so Mark is saying, no, <laughs> it isn't a state or an emperor that's going to redeem and restore the world. It's God who is doing it through Christ. And so his birth is the beginning of the good news. And one of the things that happens is that when Christians marry God and the state, and boy, you know, I can just say that like that. Like, oh, when Christians marry God in the state. But that's what maybe the majority of conservative Christians in American culture have been doing slowly for six decades and a lot in the last few years is marrying God and our state together. And when Christians marry God in the state, they lose track of what the good news really is um, and how God is at work in the world because they think God's the special thing God's doing is somehow America or Germany or, you know, Nigeria or, you know, what Russia or whatever it is, you know. I mean, we saw that. Here's a crazy example. The Ukraine war, right, which is going on right now. And um, the Metropolitan, who is head of the Russian Orthodox Church, has backed the Ukraine war because in his mind and theology, he has married God to the Russian state. Mm -hmm. And so he has said that that Vladimir Putin's war on the Ukraine is a holy war. It's a sacred war, which it absolutely is not. It, right. is, it is the war of a power-hungry, maniacal despot. So you, you can't marry God to these, to these powers in right. this way. It, it always uh, goes bad. And in America, we've gotten this idea, we marry God to the state, and then we're going to force everybody in, in the country into sort of a Christian moral conformity. And... Um, that's a, that's, a, that's a topic where you have to draw some very fine lines, and we, we can talk about that another time. But um, I would say that marrying God and the state, the idea of a Christian nation, Christian nationalism, it causes allegiance confusion. Who's my allegiance to? Mm -hmm. Is it to Christ and the gospel and the way God really is working in the world? Or is it to uh, a state entity and my vision for that and how I think God dwells in that and uses that. So it causes allegiance confusion, and I think it, it causes mission confusion, right? So what's the mission? Is, is the mission that God is making all things new, beginning with human beings, and that this is the good news that makes people, uh, as I said in my sermon Sunday, free and whole and good? Or is the mission something that has specifically to do with the United States? Um, and, and, you know, 
I'm incredibly grateful for America. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't get any better than living in America. And I'm and I love my country and I'm patriotic. But America is not how God is saving the world. Mm-hmm. And we Christians need to be clear on that. Yeah. So can you give some examples of where you've seen the marriage of Christianity and politics or the marriage, like you just said, of God and country or God and state play out in recent years? Yeah, we've seen it in, wow, a lot of ways. And and I, I could just rattle off example after example. Um, but I think most strikingly, uh, the place that we saw the marriage of Christianity and politics, yeah, maybe strikingly is the right word, um, shockingly for me, I'll speak for me personally, shockingly, um, was when we saw Christians carrying crosses and uh, Jesus flags and wearing Jesus hats and Jesus Mm t-shirts marching on the Capitol on January 6th in the insurrection alongside neo-Nazi groups and white supremacist groups, um, an event which by the way, we watched scores of Christians cheer mm-hmm. on social media. And I, I remember feeling like I was watching some kind of bizarre science fiction movie because I thought you can't get to this place where you, as Christians, you march and protest uh, and even become violent for a political cause alongside people who don't share most of what you would call your Christian values, uh, you don't you don't get there without some kind of twisted relationship between your Christianity and your mm-hmm. perception of the of the state. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess with that cliffhanger and you bringing up January sixth, that <laughs> was brave of you. Um, we're going to wrap up episode one of the two episodes of how American Christianity became such a political mess. Okay. And when we jump into episode two, we're gonna jump right back into the fray, right into there. Um, So I wanna thank everybody for joining us today. Um, And before you go. Wherever you are (laughs) listening or watching, uh, follow us, uh, subscribe. Um, like us, and that will help more listeners to find us. And uh, if you would like more information about us, or you'd like to join our email list, you can go to our website, which is jesusatthetable.com. And uh, having said that, we'll see you next time for more conversation with Jesus at the Table.